This is Danny Jolkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome into episode 56 of the Level Flight Podcast. We've got a full crew here today. Brian, Elliot, how are we doing? We're doing well. It's the Marco Dano episode. Uh, and you know, <laughs> we are uh, we are here. Yikes. We're uh, going to, I'm fairly certain today might be a, a rant day with a few things. So We're doing good. I mean, yeah, like Brian said, I don't know if there's too, too much extra stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, but yeah, should be a fun episode other, otherwise, but, uh, nope, should be good. Yeah. Yeah. The Jets, you know, last time we recorded, they had won five straight. They had won seven of their last or eight of their last nine. They were rolling one of the best teams in the West. Now they've lost two straight, but for the game recaps, we've got to start with the Florida Panthers. Um, a lot of people were saying this was the Jets best game of the year. Uh, and kind of Elliot, we were saying, that Tampa game was the most entertaining the night before we recorded um, episode 55. But the very next game, the Jets shut out the Florida Panthers on the road. Definitely one of the most impressive performances of the year. Um, Brian, what were your initial takeaways from the Jets shutting out the Panthers on the road? So I had to watch it after because I worked through the entire game, which is upsetting because it's like the it was (laughs) proclaimed the best game of the year for them. Right. Um, but no, like it's it, from what I could gather, uh, it was one of those games where everything was kind of clicking. They got into the areas they needed to like a, a big example. Of that is the, uh, the need writer goal. Like yeah. he is in the middle of, you know, four guys there just banging away. And it's just, he, he is exactly where you it's need hard. him to be. And exactly what he, that's just what he does. Like he's, he's one of those guys that's not afraid to just insert himself into a a situation where normally he's going to be outmatched, but uh, you've got that. And then you have the complete opposite of that sort of grinded out goal. And you have that absolute beauty from Nikolai. The little chip around the defender, you know, cut in roof it. Like it's, that's just precisely what we're looking for out of, Ehlers in terms of his talent level like you know it's there and seeing that you know being you know such a a forefront and unfortunately not even being the goal of the week um, (laughs) because I think that went to Zach Benson um, former Winnipeg Ice um, because I think that was it was that his first career goal first career NHL goal he went between Between the legs. legs yeah Oh yeah. yeah, but no. Back to back to the game. Um, it just felt like a, a full team effort thing, and um, you know, having not seen it firsthand, uh, I understand now why people were saying what they were about it at the time. Where it was like, this is a really, really good game for the team. Yeah, yeah. Complete team performance. Really can't say much else other than that. I guess you can say Connor Hellebuck obviously played really well. Um, you got your you got you got everything that Connor and I had talked about last week. 
You got goal scoring from different lines. You had you had a really good defensive performance, and then you had the thing that we had been talking about. You finally got a really good game out of Connor Hellebuck, uh, and so his numbers should should be trending upwards. Um, so that's you can't really say after that game you couldn't really say much else. The Jets were just rolling. Yeah, they they looked very very good in this game. I will say one other individual I want to highlight. I wanted to highlight Ehlers Hellebuck. You guys both did. Dylan Sandberg, maybe his best game of his career, honestly, in this game against Florida. He had two assists, which for him is rare because he's so defensive-minded that he does he rarely jumps up in the play. We've we've said that. We said we want to see him jump up in the rush more because he rarely does it. But he ends up with two assists, and his analytics were fantastic, as they usually are. And he was locking down Florida's top lines, best players, off the rush, off the cycle, didn't matter. He was outstanding defensively. You add in the two assists, and I think it was one of, one of, if not his best game as a Winnipeg Jet of his young two-year career. Um, so just wanted to highlight Sandberg. Let's move on to the Nashville game. Um, kind of a rough, just just a weird game. Lauren Bressois gets the start. A lot of people are going to point to that as the, the reason the Jets lost. Lauren Bressois got the start. Um, but I think they got mainly outplayed for the first two periods of this game. The third period, they they came back, they made it a game. But the first two, I guess the first 10 minutes of the first, you could argue the Jets jumped out to a good start. 0-0, UC Saros was great. And then goaltending was the difference at the other end with Brassois. Elliot, what were your takeaways from the loss to Nashville on, on Sunday night? I think my takeaways to the loss to Nashville are similar to my takeaways that I'll probably talk about when they played Dallas, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a slow start. And we've noticed that doesn't matter what year this team is, doesn't matter which version, one, two, three, four, or five of this core that we've seen, because there's been so many different versions. Whenever they have a bad start, it normally means they're not going to win the game, right? Like, you, you can't, and that's for any team, but especially this one, you can't, even though this team has shown that they can score goals and have all this talent, like you, you can't go down three nothing into the third and score t- score three and expect to win the game. Like they scored two, they made it a game, which is good, but like you got to show up earlier than that. Like you you can't you you can't just show up in the third and go hi we're here. Oh, it's three nothing. Okay, well we're just gonna try to go all out here and figure this out. Like you you can't. It's it's very difficult to do, and when you do, it's probably out of fluke. So, I mean. Great, you got some offense. You got more offense from Cole Perfetti, which is good, right? But you got to show up earlier than that. Yeah, Brian. and <laughs> I think the the thing is with me is I, I'm not blaming the loss on Brassois, but at some point or another in one of his starts, like he's actually got to really take control here because even. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, yeah, you need the Jets to actually come out strong. And goalies are going to look better if you're playing ahead. But I think in all but one of his starts this year, he has looked shaky at best. And I, I think that we're we're getting to a point here where uh, I think the expectation of him coming in to help stabilize the workload on Hellebuck is starting to become, it's called into question. Because I'll be real, at this point, I don't know if I can look uh, I know it's early. He's only played what four or five games at this point. He's allowed. 
I think I, I think almost every game he's allowed two or more, but a lot of those games he's not facing that many shots. Like I know the game against Arizona, um, is it that what did that end up being? Was that five two? Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh it was like two goals on 18 shots. So yeah. he his the workload isn't much, but he's allowing uh you know just as many goals. And it's it's I'm worried that the deeper we get into the season, we're almost in December here. And yeah. I, I the whole expect the whole thing with bringing him in was he looked really good in Vegas after looking really good here. And we brought him back in hopes that he would be that stabilizing force to help take the load off of Hellebuck. And at this point, we're back into a, a rhythm where I only feel comfortable if Hellebuck's the starting goalie. And even then, that's been a little bit iffy this year. But he's finally looking a little bit more normal. But I, I, there, I, I'm not going to talk too much else about the game because my thoughts were similar to Elliot with playing from behind. And you can't, uh, you can't just start the game, you know, in the third period when you're already down. That it, it doesn't, like, it's it, it's not beneficial to anyone. But the the issue is is when you're getting outplayed at some point or another, you need your goalie to step up and hold you in it. And we haven't seen that yet, uh, and we're only just starting to really see it again from Hellebuck. Yeah, I totally agree. And what Elliot and I talked about on last week's episode was why we were concerned a little bit with Hellebuck, not really, but like a little bit was the expected goals against the Jets were suppressing chances like among the NHL's elite. They were the number one team, if not top five, at suppressing high danger chances at five on five. And Hellebuck was still struggling, right? And this is this is the thing with Brassois, like you said, he'll let in three goals, but it'll be on 21 shots or he'll let in two goals on 16 shots. Like they're not facing these high danger, high volume shot totals. Uh, and they're still giving up two or three goals. And that was the thing with Hellebuck early in the season too. They would give up four or five and it would be um, on eight, 18 to 20 shots. And that's just, you need better goaltending than that. Like you said, Hellebuck's starting to turn the corner, but Brassois needs to put a few good starts together here because you can't get to a point like you were last year where you couldn't trust David Riddick down the stretch and Hellebuck played the last like 16 games. That can't happen because you need Hellebuck to be fresh for the playoffs. This team looks to be a playoff team. They look to be a team that suppresses a lot of chances five on five, especially defensively. And if you can't trust your goalie, while being that team five on five, that's that's an issue. But Hellbuck's starting to turn the corner, and Brassois yeah. should get a few more starts here. Maybe he gets Chicago on Saturday. Maybe he gets um, a game late next week when they head back on the road. I'm not sure, but yeah, like you, I, I agree with you, Brian. He's got to put a, a start or two together here to regain some confidence. Um, unless you guys, well, have that's the thing. Else, like he's he's coming yeah, into his next starts here with an eight seventy seven save percentage yeah and it seems to be getting this it's it's holding or it's getting worse because it's like he's i don't know like he's allowed 15 goals against in five starts so we're averaging three per and yeah it's just i'm not i'm not confident that i'm seeing enough though that like it's just like a couple flukes or anything like this is something that i'm worried about so uh, I, I haven't had a chance to look at the goal saved above expected. Oh, or anything. I'm looking right now. Well, I'm looking right now. What is it? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so he is in total through five games, negative 4.2 goals saved above expected, but on a 
per 60 basis. So like all things being equal in terms of playing time, um, he is the third worst goaltender in the NHL and goal saved above expected per 60 negative 0.832. Uh, Jack Campbell, who's no longer in the NHL <laughs> because he was so bad that they sent him down and Anton Forsberg of the Sens. Um, yeah. So that, that's the, that's the, area that Lauren Brassois is in right now. He's in the area of Jack Campbell who got sent down to the minors because he was playing. Even so if bad. you get like average goaltending from him, the team looks so much better in front of him. Yeah. Like they if you get like an average Nashville. goaltending performance, uh, they probably, they might even win that game. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's, I feel like we were having this discussion too, where it was like at some point or another, even average is fine. You just can't be this bad. Yeah. Right. We had, didn't That's we have a, the same exact discussion with Britic last year yeah. where we said you just have to be average, just don't be bad. And he was not, and, and we had the, yeah. and we had the same discussion with the Oilers goaltenders, and they sent one of them down to the minors. <laughs> like that's that's where Lauren Brassois is at right now. But we had the same discussion. If the Oilers could get a save, which they're starting to, and we'll get into that when we preview the upcoming schedule because they've won three straight, they're going to be just fine, and they're starting to get some saves, and they're looking just fine. Um, and. And we talk about it all the time. Goaltending is very finicky. Like, yes. I think Brassois, as much as the Nashville game wasn't great, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but all I heard was that, like, and some of the stuff I've seen, it just doesn't seem he's getting bounces to go his way when yeah. he's in net. And, and, I, and I get it. The Jets are suppressing high-danger chances. Most of the time, those high-danger chances, if they get scored on, you don't really blame the goalie because it's kind of hard to make a stop in a high danger chance, it just also seems like he's not making a save on stuff he should be. Like, there's lots of times where I've been seeing, like, the Arizona game, there was one of the goals I was seeing there, and I'm like, like, really? Like, you yeah. need to make that, like, I don't, I don't want to pull out the Connor Hellebuck would have made that save, but, like, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's getting to the point where even an average goaltender should be making that save. Like, just... Make and I think I think he'll be just fine. I think he's going through like one of the worst five game start stretches of his career right now, and he'll obviously bounce back. He's proven it before. since he left Edmonton. He's, yeah, he, yeah, he's proven it in a system that suppresses high danger chances like Vegas, right? Like yeah. people will point to, oh, well, Vegas, you know, kind of inflates goalies' numbers because the way they block shots and suppress chances. Well, the Jets are doing the same thing, so I think he'll be just fine. He just needs one or two good starts to maybe get some confidence back under his belt. But let's move on to the Dallas game. This is fresh in our memory. They lost 2-0 last night. Um, you'll be hearing this Thursday. They're playing the Oilers tonight. But two nights ago, Dallas lost 2-0. Uh, what were your guys' initial takeaways? I mean, obviously the Jets miss on the two five-on-threes, which we're going to get to um, maybe later on in the episode, or maybe it'll just happen right now. But yeah, there's the, the hockey stat card. Um, just for a, a deeper analytical look on what happened in this one. Um, first, I, I'll go first. I okay. I I know this is like convenient timing because he's at the top of the list. But I genuinely thought Mark Shifley had a great game last night, um, especially when Nikolai Ehlers got bumped up to that line. It seemed like they were creating a a, a good chance every time on their shift. Um, and he said in the post game something like. Yeah, the first shift wasn't great, but then the next one we generated a good chance. And then the third one we generated a, a, a few chances. And then the fourth one, like he just said, they kept building on every shift. Um, that's exactly what you want to see. 
I don't know if that line stays the same because Gabriel Vlardy might be coming back into the lineup very soon here. But I thought Mark Scheifele played great. Kyle Connor, we've talked about um, what, like he's he's scoring all these goals. Now he has one goal in his last six games. That's pretty concerning. <clears throat> Sorry. And Dylan Sandberg continues to impress. Um, I'll let you guys, before I talk about the entire roster, I'll let you guys go. Brian, what were your takeaways from this one? Well, my thing was, uh, as you said, that, that little line bump, uh, I think mm. that did more than just sort of make other things look better at the time. I think it gave us a little bit of a look into what we might expect to see with Velarde. Um, I don't know if you can see, but for the last several games, uh, right down near the bottom of that list there, Alex Ayafalo, he has been struggling. And I, I honestly mm-hmm. think that uh, him getting bumped off that top line uh, in you know a, a losing effort like this, uh, I think it was... I'm not going to say deserved because like he's, he's done his best. Like he's not the top offensive guy. That's the thing. Like he was, he was put right. there as a stop gap until things got better. But we're, we, I think the biggest thing is we're seeing it more that he's not that guy as of late um, with, mm-hmm. you know, keeping up and creating and driving play. It's just not happening. And I think that, moving him initially they dropped him right down to line four and then moved him back up to the second line second line and name only based on minutes um yeah with uh Nemestikov and perfetti and then ehlers got the bump up with their reluctance to move ehlers to that top group with connor and shifley uh over the last few years i think that's the velarde spot that it's just that's was they just needed to get through it in the rest of the game and then they'll reevaluate going into, you know, the game against Edmonton. But I think that rather than putting someone who hasn't had that shot yet on the top line um, and get an extended look there, you saw a guy that will regularly be the bump, essentially. Yeah. And I, I didn't mind the the Connor Shifley Ehlers uh, move in the third period. And I actually love going to that, like love the Jets going to that as an option in a game, especially where you're not generating much offense, you don't have a goal and you need one. I think that's like the perfect line. It's like, okay, if they score games, probably over anyways, which Dallas did late and they won two nothing. So we're going to load up our top line with our three best offensive players. And we're going to let them do damage in the offensive zone. And just like, they need to generate offense. And they did. Um, They, they, that's like, like it, the it the reason they should be together. Like it shouldn't be like a uh, a game in game out basis. Um, yeah. And I, I think that you've made a great point there, where um, maybe that is finally the turning point too for Ealers, where um, for so long getting you know those minimal minutes down the stretch when they need you know chances, um, him getting the bump there. Uh, when they need it the most. I think that shows a bit of growth there. But I also think, though, that that is exactly what it needs to be. And that's a load up your top line. Because if you do that for an extended period of time, they're going to give back so much on defense. And uh, it, it, it wouldn't be the best thing to do in the long run. But I think what you said, though, was perfect, where it's like, we need the offense loaded up. Let's go. Yeah. And last thing on this point, I want to, we're going back to Nashville now, but Cole Perfetti's minutes actually went up in the third period. And that was something we talked about earlier in the season that like when he was getting benched late in games when they were losing, I think it was you Elliot that said like, all right, that's fine. 
But if we're down a goal, you got to play him more. Like it's got to be, you yeah. can't have it both ways, right? Um, in the Nashville game, he did actually get played more down the stretch. This game, Nikolai Ehlers, the same thing. He got played more down the stretch when the Jets were down a goal. Uh, I just think that's the right move is playing your offensive players the most amount of minutes down the stretch. I think it's 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 a great move and it worked in this one. It just the results didn't really follow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know if there's much else to really say about that game, Elliot. You can. Well, it's take like it. I had said about the Preds game. They started too slow. Like I, I like that. That's my other thing. They didn't generate enough offense until the third, and that was once they loaded up the top line and they decided, hey, we need to actually figure out how to do the thing that's part of this sport that we play and score a goal. Like it's that. That's the problem that I have with the last couple of games with this, like the last two games with this team, they're waiting into like, I'm sitting there. I watched the entire game last night and first period kind of comes and goes. Okay. Didn't really do much, but Dallas didn't really do much either. Second period, Dallas generated a lot of chances. Jets felt like they were on the back foot. And then the third period, they come out and it's this huge grand, like first five minutes. It's boom, 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 chance, chance. And it's like, Hey, like where was that? Like forty minutes ago, that, that's mm-hmm. the part that I don't get. I, I I don't understand if this team hasn't figured it out yet. I'm not going to say it's an effort thing because we've seen them show effort. Mm-hmm. I don't. Now I'm starting to think it might be a mindset thing. I don't know what it is with this team, but it seems to be when they have the mindset and you notice the mindset is there as soon as the game starts. You know how I, I hate being that person, but I can pretty much predict kind of how a Jets game is going to go based on the first, like, four shifts of, or, like, the first couple <laughs> shifts of, of from the first couple lines that come out. And, and that, that's not a joke. Like, the Jets sometimes come out and they're firing in all cylinders. I'm like, okay, at least if they're going to lose tonight, they're going to put up some offense and it's going to be good. But when they come out, like, they have the last couple games where it's kind of like, ah, we're just here, we're hanging out, like, we're kind of playing this slow, methodical game. Then that's where I kind of go, okay, they're going to be losing in the third period. And look what happened. They were losing the third period back-to-back games. And it's, all right, we got to score. And now we're going to turn it up. And it's like, okay, well, you can't do that. If you did that 40 minutes ago in the first period, you might be up 2 nothing right now. Or it might be tied at 2-2, right? Like you're in yeah. a better position. So I just feel like sometimes this team with either sometimes depending on the way that either that they play or the mindset that they have, it boxes them into kind of where the result of the game is going to go. And if they just, and I know this, and this happens at all levels of any sport. If you just come out and attack your opponent, there's a better chance you're going to get a leg up earlier mm-hmm. on in the game. And I think the Jets, the Jets are at their best when they are attacking and they are full frontal, like all in from the get go. When they do that, I will say right now they are one of the top five teams, maybe not in the league, but they're at least a top team in the West when they come out and attack like that. But they are a fringe playoff team when they come out and do what they've done the last two games. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. That's and just Rick, how it Rick, is. And Rick Bonus after the game alluded to that, uh, saying, like, you know, if to get Dallas out of their defensive structure that makes them so good, you have to 
make them chase and play with the lead instead of chasing the game the whole time, which they ended up doing. And Rick bonus, like I said, uh, all three of these games that we just covered, he's back. Um, he's back. great to see him back with the team. Jets social media posted some really awesome videos of him, you know, hugging the players, reintroducing himself to, to the guys, to the team um, that has been without him for over a month. Scott Arneal, the team did great in Rick Bonus's absence. Scott Arneal, hat tip to you. Uh, he did a great job. And now Rick Bonus is back. Everyone loves to see that. Um, yeah. Did it, you guys have any thoughts on Rick Bonus being back? That was that was just nice to see. And he said, I will, I will say for context, um, he said Judy Bonus is doing about as well as they could have hoped right now. And he is um, what did he say? He said he feels comfortable leaving her for a few hours to go to a practice or a game, uh, which makes him able to coach the team now. Um, and he was still in contact with Scott O'Neill coaching the team from behind the scenes, even when he wasn't officially behind the bench. But it's good to see that Judy Bonus is doing well enough um, to where Rick can come back and that they're they're doing better altogether. You, yeah, you know, like I, I think the biggest thing for me is um, the knowledge that you know, Judy bonus is doing better. And I think that's the key here is yeah. Uh, yeah. team success, whatever's happening. That's a total side point uh, because the biggest thing is um, he had to be there for his family. He was able to do that. Uh, and now it's such a good sign that he feels comfortable enough that he can come back because uh, you know, it must've been incredibly difficult for him and his family. So I, I think it's a really, really good sign to see him back behind the bench and that his confidence level in the situation is where it is. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, great to have Rick bonus back in the building around the team. Um, one of the most well-respected people across the entire league. Um, and it's great to see Judy bonus doing as well as they could have hoped per Rick bonus. Um, Let's take a break. We'll get into some more Jets topics when we come back, but we're going to hear a word from DraftKings and Raycon, and we will be right back. So stick around. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. After the Jets have gone on this little run here, did you know they're still plus 750 to win the Central Division? Something to think about for sure. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources uh, are there for your availability uh, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply it may be too early to start decorating for the holidays but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before black friday 
You can shop Raycon products now and save up to 50% off because their early Black Friday sale is going on right now. You've heard us talk about Raycon's products before several times on this podcast. And, you know, Raycon made a name for themselves in the audio space. Their products, like the Everyday Earbuds, known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features, just a 32-hour battery life and a perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. And this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon PowerTech. Their five-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, micro-USB, and USB Type-C devices eight times faster with 100-watt power delivery. Their faucet filter ultra-filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. It's a must-have for ensuring the water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth is, you know, actually clean. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everyone the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their site, with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com THPN to get 20 or 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com THPN. And welcome back into episode 56 of the Level Flight Podcast. We said we were going to dive into more of the power play talk, and it's here. The Jets miss on two five-on-threes in the, in the Dallas game. Both Nino, uh, Niederreiter, Mark Scheifele, and Rick Bonus all said that that was the game. That's where they lost. The game was on those two five-on-threes that they failed to convert on. And it's not only that they failed to convert, it's the way that they failed to convert. Um, they just didn't really look dangerous whatsoever. Um, Brian, I'll let you take the first, the first word on this one. Um, what did you make of the way the Jets handled their five on threes last night <laughs> against Dallas? Getting ready. Um, I'm gonna start by saying, you can literally watch any NHL game, uh, when there's a five on three, and do exactly as that does, and the Jets probably convert on one of their chances. You the, the word like the rule of thumb here is you don't run the same power play that you run five on four, five on three. You don't have to run it through the umbrella at the top because they're still running it through Morrissey at the top of the circles. You don't do that because that allows the uh Dallas defenders to just stay in one spot because you're just gonna move around them. Why would they move? Um, yeah. and so all literally all they needed to do to make that look a little bit better was run it from below the goal line because then that draws the defenders in leaving more room for a guy like Connor or Shifley to actually come in and take a shot because with what you're doing, you're allowing them to stay further out and keeping you, you know, further away from Ottinger. You bring it in close. Uh, you can then actually allow them to move around a little bit. I swear Ottinger like didn't move at all during the, the power plays. Like he was just able to stand there and just make straight on saves. And yeah. I feel like, it shouldn't be this difficult uh, to adapt to a different power play uh, when you have an extra two guys. Like it's it's not it's not rocket science. Just don't you know have the other guy. Like it makes it look like Dallas had the fourth player still. Like yeah. when you have a power play, utilize the advantage. It's, it's the whole thing. It's a man advantage. And if it's a two man advantage, you should do even better. And they didn't. And like I I, the, I know that Brad Lauer is the the power play, uh, you know, he runs it, I think. 
Um, I, I honestly think that there needs to be some sort of conversation had and a lot of film to be watched of other teams and how they run a five on three because I, I honestly think that in the last two years too, because I feel like we've had this discussion before, Jets five on three, you might as well just not have to worry at all. Like it just, it feels like a constant. And yeah, the, the biggest thing that you alluded to there that like stuck with me is the the umbrella staying the same and the lack of movement that went with that uh, was my biggest issue. Like the, the, yeah. going to the umbrella, okay, you don't want to switch it up, fine. But just all standing there and looking for the one seam pass to Kyle Connor over and over again just yeah. makes no sense. Like I, I said it, it didn't make sense at five on four when they went through their massive power play slump uh, and they went away from it. And their power play has actually been really good since November 1st. Um, they they stuck with it on the five on three. They went back to that. I, I don't understand that whatsoever. Um, and this is what makes it even more frustrating. I tweeted out yesterday that since November 1st, the Jets have the second best power play in the West. In the West. They, they trail only Vancouver. Vancouver's at 32%. The Jets were at 27.3% or something like that which is great. That's a really good power play, especially for the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think they've ever had a power play finish the season at 27%. Maybe their teams back in the day with line a, but um, I, I, I don't get it because their power play has been great at five on four. And then at five on three, you almost go back to the bad habits that put you in the slump in the first place, which is Shifley on the half wall, waiting, thinking, no movement, forcing the scene pass, not there cleared. And it was just constant. It was just replaying that movie over and over again. Uh, and it and it cost them the game. There's no way to sugarcoat it. You miss on two five-on-threes. That cost you the game. They lost 2 nothing, but both five-on-threes came when it was one nothing. Or I guess the first one came when it was 0-0, so they could have taken the lead. Um, and then the second one, I think, came when they were down. So you could have tied the game or taken the lead at any point uh, with, with these two man advantages that you did not generate one high danger look on. They did not have one good luck on these power plays. Um, uh, but yeah, Elliot. Yeah. It, it was just, Oh my God. It was infuriating. Like my favorite part is to get the five on three. I check my phone. I see a bunch of tweets. Uh, Shadow Carter Brooks. Uh, he goes, this is the TSN turning point. The jets then don't convert. They concede. And Carter Brooks then says, tweets and quote, I don't remember if it was a reply or a quote tweet. He then goes, never mind. Like you shoot, this is exact. And I, and I tweeted about it last night. I said, this is what you get for twiddling your thumbs on the power play and kind of just going, well, you know what? We could just like waste time for fun um, and just kind of stand here. Like Mark Shifley recently and when they were in the slump, I think the biggest thing is, yes, Kyle Connor is standing there at the circle waiting for a one-timer. Fine. He can stand there. That's fine. He'll draw attention. But guys like Josh Morrissey and Mark Shifley, as much as Mark Shifley had a good game last night, he was terrible on those five-on-threes. He does not look like a threat at all. He, he, he stands there. He's either looking for the scene pass. He's not even looking to shoot. He's looking for the scene pass. And if he's got nothing, it's back to Morrissey. And those three just play hot potato and don't do anything. But I think Mark Shifley needs to actually, like, I get it. You want to feed Cal Connor. You've been getting a bunch of assists to him. 
I, I'm fine. I, I understand it. But so at some point, like you scored 40 goals last year. You, you need to have some sort of instinct to shoot the puck because they're right now. It, it's, it's, it's the funniest. It's, I know I'm going to make a basketball analogy here, but it's like going and double teaming the shooter and leaving the non-shooter wide open. And the non-shooter is like, Oh, there's nobody within 15 feet of me. I could shoot this. And instead passes into a double team and turns over the puck. Like that, that's essentially what it is. Like, He's throwing a scene pass to Kyle Connor, which everyone knows is coming. And it's tip, yeah. puck, battles around for a while, and they flip it out. Right? Like, I think Connor and I, you, we talked about weeks ago when we were talking about this issue, about they need to move it down below below the goal line, move it around the net. Like, I think they did that in the last 15 seconds of the second five-on-three like Shifley passed it to Ayafalo twice, and that was it. But then Ayafalo, I think, and then I think Ayafalo threw on a cross to Kyle Connor, who was streaking in. Great. That's a chance generated, right? At least you're looking for something different. They aren't doing anything different. And I don't think, as much as I think system has a thing to do with it, I don't think it really does because it's the three at the top and that umbrella system just passed the puck. We've seen them move it around and score in different ways. And they tried different players on that on that power play last night. They tried Perfetti. They had a high follow. They threw Niederreiter in there. Like, it just yeah. didn't I, – and I don't think personnel has to do it either. It has to do with decision-making. And their decision-making mm-hmm. is has not been smart when they've been in a slump or it seems to be on five-on-threes. Like, yeah. the whole point of five-on-threes th- – yeah, go ahead. What makes it what makes it even worse is the fact that their five on four power play has been the opposite of that for the past month. They've yeah. been decisive. They've been giving different looks. Josh Morsby's been shooting from the point, and Mark Shifley deflects one against Tampa Bay. Right, like their power play has been good, and uh, giving teams different looks and not being indecisive, um, and just standing there on the wall and forcing the one seam pass, and then you get a five on three, and you just go all the, all right back to it. It's just. It's infuriating, uh, to say the least, and it's the way that they lost this game. Um, Mark Scheifele, even after the game, was talking about how, oh, we we got the seam pass a few times, and it's like, well, I don't know if you should really be looking for it because everyone knows you want the seam pass. Um, it's like it's like line A back when <clears throat> back when they had line A on the power play, everyone knew you were trying to get that one timer to line A. So what was kind of a sneaky option is when Blake Wheeler would come down the wall and feed it into Mark Shifley at the bumper, and he would just shoot it right over the blocker and score because there's a guy stapled to Patrick Lanny's hip, right? Um, even on the five-on-three, like Kyle Connor's being covered pretty well because uh, everyone knows like he's one of the best goal scorers in the league. They know you're trying to force that seam pass. Um, so, well, yeah, working the puck to the point down low. And even to your point about the Mark Shifley at the bumper, the other thing too was there was still puck movement because then it would still get to line it because then Shifley would then either back pass it or throw it or just pretend like he was going to take it and he'd just let it go over his stick and it would still get to line and it would confuse people. There's still puck movement. I think that's the yeah. biggest thing that people need to understand is when they're in a slump, there is no puck movement. It's not like they just are getting goalied and they just can't score and they're yeah. getting unlucky. It's they are shooting themselves in the foot by doing that. And you know what? They deserve to get scored on like 30 seconds after that because they didn't deserve to generate anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's uh it was tough. 
Um, and it's the way they lost this game, and they got to fix it going forward because you can't just do this with five on threes. You can't, especially against Dallas. Like I, I was about to say, especially against teams where you got to get these points. You've now lost two games to Dallas start the year, both at home. So now you've either got to beat them on the road, uh, which is a tough play to play. Dallas is a tough play to play. Um, or you just lose every game to Dallas. And those points are huge at the end of the season for a team that you're likely fighting for home ice advantage with in the first round. Like a lot can change right now, but I would I, like, it looks as though Colorado is going to be the one seed. They're unbelievable. And then Dallas and Winnipeg are fighting for home ice in the first round of the playoffs. That's just what it looks like. Yeah. Yes. Dallas can go on a run and be the one seed or the jets can maybe go on a run and be the one seed, but, in all likelihood, these games against Colorado and Dallas are really going to matter, and you've already lost two, uh, and we're not even in December yet. So uh, that five-on-three needs to needs to change, but the power play has been good as of late, which is a weird sentence to say. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on. We do – last year we did this a few times. We want to do it again this year. Uh, a moose update. The Manitoba moose, um, it's been an interesting start to the year, to say the least. They've had – goaltending issues and that's probably a massive understatement um they've had colin delia they've had a scary salmonin they've had thomas millich come up and play a few games and they just can't get a save from anyone to be honest um some bright spots on the team uh nikita chipperkov is their leading scorer with 17 points in 16 games he's got eight goals nine assists uh kyle capabianco is almost a point a game Brad Lambert, 14 points in 16 games. Uh, Chaz Lucius has eight points in 10 games. He missed a few games with a concussion. That's why his game total is lower. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to roll through these. Kid, I'm not even going to go uh, goalie by goalie. I'm just going to go the team uh, goalie stats. Goals against average, 3.82. Save percentage, 0. 0.863. That's 8.63. That is... That is unbelievably bad um and you can see why they're struggling i think they're still hovering around 500 the record they might be a few games under but man their goaltending has been a problem um have you guys been keeping up with the moose kind of keeping tabs elliot i've been keeping a little bit more tabs this year just because there's more prospects there's more players i mean my biggest thing i think is they're getting it's so weird like I think their best performer was Thomas Millich. And he came, he he had one start, two games where he came in in relief. Like, or it was, sorry, it was two starts, two games where he came in relief. One of his starts was pretty decent. The other one was really bad. And then both of his uh, relief appearances were terrible. And then they yeah. sent him down. He looked like the most... Like, if you were going to go roll with a goalie right now, I would have rolled with Milic. One, because of higher ceiling. And two, he's looked like the better goalie. Salmonen hasn't looked great, and Delia hasn't looked great either. So, Which is weird, because Delia has been a great AHL goalie in the past. Yeah. Um, For mainly the Abbotsford Canucks, I guess, if he was with Vancouver. Um, But I remember looking at his AHL stats and thinking, that's pretty good. Uh, And now, yeah, like you said, his save percentage is 860. Thomas Milic... Thomas Millich, the best goaltender on the Jets with an eight or on the Jets on the Moose. Sorry, it's early um, on the Moose with an 877 save percentage and a 374 goals against. Yeah, like that's the best. That's your best option. 
Yeah, but he's the, he's <laughs> been the and and here's the other thing. He's been the one that's made a couple saves for them. Right. Like he he has made the saves, but it's, it's he just yeah, and it's hilarious. He goes down to the ECHL and his next game is a shutout. Like I I know goalies yeah. are weird, but like that's just really weird. Like yeah, you play average weird. to below average in the AHL. You drop down one level and it's nope shutout. Like can't yeah can't beat yeah. me like i don't know but it's it's I, crazy the goaltending has been really weird um i i want to make short point nikita chipperkov i think i know we had talked over the summer connor and i with marad atesh of the athletic about if there was an injury to a skill player who would get the call up mm-hmm. and we talked about it being like a brad lambert or most likely a shaz lucius because he's older and that sort of thing mm-hmm. i am now starting to think with how this is how the season has gone for him, I'm now de- I'm deciding I'm thinking now that it might be the Jets deciding to go with Nikita Chipperkov. Like he he yeah. he looks ready. I know he won't play this year most likely, but I definitely do think that he gets an opportunity, a good look in training camp next year already. And I think that he has a chance to potentially be either hoping not an extra forward because that would just really hurt his development. Um, no. But I do really think that he could be a part of the roster some mm-hmm. point very soon. Like he he has looked ready to go for the AHL, and not to say that Brad Lambert hasn't looked good and that Lucius hasn't, but Chipperkov has been healthy. He's looked consistent, and he is putting up points. So that yep. that's kind of my analysis. Brian, what are your thoughts on the the start to the season for the Moose? I feel like we've had the same discussion like the last three years where it's like the moose have a great roster but their goaltending is just abysmal like we're mm-hmm. back to the point where we're looking at the same levels of goaltending when they were rotating through mikhail burden evan cormier and arvid holm like it's like it's we're, we really should be seeing some sort of you know difference here but we're not and it it is ultimately costing games and you want these guys to play on good teams but it's got to be just really really tough to you know be playing because a lot of these guys are playing really really well and then they're losing yeah yeah so i don't know and like the thing is too where it's like obviously it's a developmental league and the wins and the losses ultimately don't matter as long as the players are developing but it does a lot for a young guy to be a part of like an AHL playoff run just to, you know, really feel the intensity of, you know, playoff hockey. You're seeing a guy like Chibrikov, as you said, Elliot, I don't think he makes an appearance this year unless everything goes haywire, but getting him into a playoff run with how he plays and, you know, some of his physicality and his intensity and his goal scoring, like that could be an unreal moment for him. And, with the goaltending that the Moose have, uh, that doesn't look like a reality. So um, they need to turn it around to actually get some additional success here. But I think in, in terms of the personal success, we're seeing a lot of those young guys where obviously now that he's getting healthy and he's back in the lineup, Chaz Lucius has uh, eight points in 10 games. Like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing things pay dividends here and it's, it's nice to see. I just want to see them, do that and then get rewarded with it with team success. Yeah, I agree. And the biggest thing, the the goaltending, the the playoffs, like getting into the playoffs, I I brought it up probably all too often last year, and I'm going to bring it up again. But John Tortorella has that one quote 
uh, and I'm going to cling to it for the rest of time. But he had that one quote where he was talking about how when he coached in the AHL, the, they, they developed their players more in their two-week stretch of their playoff run than they did their entire season. Like, that's where the development was, is was in the playoffs. Um, and it's just so key, like you said, Brian, for these young players to experience playoff hockey this young in their career. Um, and yeah, the Jets, or yeah, the Jets prospects, I guess. Nikita Chibrikov, over a point a game. Lambert is just under a point a game. Lucius is just under a point a game. And need I remind people that Cole Perfetti was like just under a point a game? as a AHL player. And now we see he's just under a point a game as an NHL player uh, to see these guys racking up points like this, especially Brad Lambert last year in the AHL. He was not good. He did not look ready for the structured style of play for the pro style of play. Now he's playing at center. He's near a point a game. Uh, he has more flashes of brilliance every single game. I think that's the biggest thing for me is Brad Lambert's ability to play in structure, put up points, uh, and play at center. I mean, that's that's a huge organizational uh, like shift. If Brad Lambert is able to develop and be a center at the pro level, that's that's huge. Um, and he talked. He was on Winnipeg Sports Talk a few weeks ago, and he talked about his move to center and how much that's helped him and how he feels natural uh, playing that position. So. That's good for him, and that the development is really, really interesting to, to, to track, especially when you look at Cole Perfetti's numbers and what he put up and how yeah. all these guys are now putting up similar numbers. It's it's going to be fun to watch the next couple of years, that's for sure. Um, anything else on the moose? No? Yes? No? No? I see, I see heads shaking. The, you know, concerns I, and questions I have, That's that kind of exhausted them there, so... Yeah. Let's let's move on. We're, we're time for the weekly segment. What did the NHL do wrong this week? Um, <laughs> once a week, we got to bring up some uh, something that NHL did wrong because they give us lots to talk about on this segment. Um, Brian, I will start with you, and I think I know where you're going to start. You're going to start in Minnesota with a certain goaltender. Yes, um, <laughs> this is uh, something that I've been just like seething about ever since it happened because this is the yeah. second time we've seen it this year where the NHL has these weird, weird rules about um, what can and cannot be worn in warmups. And we saw it already. I can't remember which goalie it was, but they wanted to have a hockey fights, cancer mask to wear and they weren't allowed. And it was Logan Thompson. I could be wrong though. Yes. But, yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this last week, Marc-Andre Fleury had a beautiful indigenous painted mask uh, for their theme game. And his wife is indigenous, so he uh, wanted to honor her. The league said, you can't do that. And he goes, well, what if I do? And essentially they said, well, we'll find you and the team. He wore it anyways, and nothing happened. And essentially like, oh, we'll get you next time. Um, but this is not the second time. Like they have zero, like I'm not saying like it, that they should be you know enforcing it like at all like i think that it's totally fine that if goalie wants to wear a mask that you know honors you know their you know something personal to them go right ahead like i i have a lot of respect for elliot friedman um Fridge on this pod but he had a tweet that i did not or like a, a comment on the 32 thoughts podcast that i didn't understand where it was like the nhl trying to stop a slippery slope of putting you know bad things on a mask acting like 
Thomas Grice didn't have a literal SS on his mask and was banned from the German Hockey Federation or Robin <laughs> Leonard having a picture of quote unquote his guy Donald Trump on his mask during the 2016 <laughs> presidential race like this like taking this weird strong point now against things that are legitimately good like honoring your wife uh you know like <laughs> or hockey or hockey fight someone do that which is hockey one of their fans, initiatives like, it's their exactly. initiative but they're not like, they can't even what? wear the jersey anymore yeah like we're getting to a point now and i i loved this is from the 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 pride tape debacle where dermot ended up using it and then the whole band got reversed where matt dumba came out and also wasn't fine because the league would look real, real stupid if they did he came out and said uh and i quote um why did they have to do that in the first place? You'll never get the answers from them. You'll never get the answers for that. That's just something I've come to understand. They don't have answers for a lot of things they do. They just follow and try and save face. And that is precisely <laughs> what we've yeah. seen here again. But like, I, I, under, like, I understand that uh, their whole idea of you know, trying to uh, appease the masses is what this is what they think they're trying to do. But because of like four or five guys coming out and saying they didn't want to partake in, uh, you know, a theme night for Pride Night uh, and then turning this around and being like, if you wear anything themed, we're going to threaten to find you. But then not actually find you, but we're going to threaten you for sure. Uh, it's such a horrible look for a league that's trying to still they're still trying to claim that it's for everyone. Meanwhile, they're like, you know, we have zero backbone whatsoever and we're going to try and stop people from wearing things that have zero harm whatsoever. Uh, and yeah. uh, then not follow through with any sort of threats because they know they're in the wrong. Yeah. It's all these empty threats. It makes, it makes no sense. And it's exactly like the pride tape. And it's hilarious because the, the way it unfolded on Twitter was so funny. There's the video yeah. of Mark Andre Fleury. And I believe it was Michael Russo who covers the wild. Uh, mm -hmm. tweeted out saying beautiful mask but and then he included at the end of the tweet well the nhl won't let him wear it because they'll find him and then everyone freaks out and is like whoa why won't they let him wear it and then like goes three hours later, by the way yeah like, three hours later i think russo tweets oh uh it, it says or uh i i per a source flurry's gonna wear it anyways but then the wild threatened with or the nhl threatened with even bigger fines and then is like, okay, is he going to wear it? Like the NHL is just going to keep upping the amount they're going to find a guy for wearing his own mask, honoring his indigenous wife. Like, what are we doing here? And then yeah. he wears it anyways, and there's no fine. What are we doing? Here? Like, so you threaten to fine him. Then you threaten to up the fine. Then he does it anyways. And you just say, oh, okay, you were right. You got it. Like, what what do we do like oh yeah just just the, take just take away the stupid rule in the first place just like the pride tape it's like you you say oh pride tape no one can wear it anymore travis dermott puts three lines of pride tape at the shaft the top end of his stick that you can barely even see you wouldn't be able to see it on the tv unless someone super zoomed in with a three thousand dollar lens and you go oh someone did it never mind we're gonna take it away uh, we're not gonna find you. You got it. Like Matt Dumba is so challenge on his good. Like, oh, it makes it makes. Yeah, sense. it's yeah. The, my favorite part of that whole thing was Flurry was only gonna wear it for warm up, and I think he was only gonna wear it for warm up in the first place. Then the NHL he only, so he only he was did gonna wear, wear it for warm up. I don't he, think he wore well, it in the game. As far as I'm aware, he wore it the entire game because they uh, I they thought he so. they upped the fine. Either way, my favorite part was Russo tweeted like 20 minutes before puck drop. 
saying that Flurry's been told he's going to get fined. Flurry doesn't care and he's going to wear it. Yeah. Like he, like he literally, like he, Flurry was told, you will be fined if you're going to wear it. And he said, okay, fine. I'm just going to wear it. I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, Love it. it's, it's so, this is so stupid. I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, and it's, it's would, funny how like, the players are aware of kind of how spineless the NHL is. It's, it's it like, some, like they, they know. His first game didn't even wear a bucket in warm up. And he got, yeah. and then he got fined. He didn't care. Like guy, guy, like a fine isn't gonna stop anybody. Like it, that's when I understand. Like goalies, the whole thing. Goalies can't wear anything creative with their gear for the most part, right? Like the mask is their way of expressing who they are and everything. So I would understand if the NHL wants to ban or wants to fine players for if there's a derogatory term or there's an emblem or something that isn't politically correct in the in the current landscape of the world on their mask i'm not going to use which ones you will probably even think of whatever you want in your head totally fine totally get it that is where you should be finding and banning players right or saying you have to now wear a blank mask for x amount of games because you've done this right like something like that taking away you've lost mask privileges (laughs) like common common sense should kick in though like you're right yeah you can have the rule in place that you can't have any, you know, specialty masks with any kind of emblem or anything, which is what that, they were enforcing. That's derogatory. The that I would well, say no, is derogatory. What or, they or were negative in thing. Well, what they were enforcing for the flurry thing was well, there's a specialty mask. You have certain logos, certain words on it, and that's a no. That's just flat out a no. Same thing with the pride tape. Anything but regular tape is a no. Pride, whatever, like no, Flame you can't tape? wear it or whatever. Whatever, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but then you just go back on it, and it's it's just like you can have that rule in place, but maybe just use some common sense when it comes to it. Um, yeah. especially with the the Logan Thompson hockey fights cancer thing. Oof. I mean, who are you protecting with that one? Who yeah. are you? Are you appeasing to the I love cancer crowd? Like, what are we? <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah, that's a crowd we really want to protect in our game. Hockey's for everyone, especially the people that love cancer. Great. Great work, NHL. Way, way to go! Like, what a joke! What a joke! I just, oh I God. don't, I don't understand any of these. Like, I, 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 it, I just sit there and laugh because it's just yeah. so comical that they just can't figure it out. And the if NHL they just does it again. Common sense, yeah. If, if they just the use NH- common sense, they'd figure out that tape doesn't mean bleep and a mask that. To be prom- that is promoting good things and has promoting no a themed to- night, promoting a themed night ran by an NHL organization. But, but it's and not even a, that. The goalie, the starting goalie, honoring his wife. Like, what are we doing here? And this positive is that, but but my thing is, is it has no negative connotation whatsoever. There's no negative here. It's a themed night. The, like, the team is running the theme night. Same with the hockey fights cancer. The the Winnipeg the Jets league. are running. The league the, the, is running. The league, <laughs> the league gives the teams the go ahead to run a hockey fights cancer theme night, but then the goalie can't wear a mask. That's hockey fights cancer. Oh, makes no sense. I I think we uh, gotta yeah. wrap yeah, this yeah. up before we. Yeah, I'm, I'm sweating over here. This is getting whew, getting hostile. NHL gets me fired up on a Wednesday morning. Oh man. Um. Before oh, we get know. out of here, we do want to preview the upcoming schedule for the Jets. They've got a few Connors coming to town. 
Um, the Edmonton Oilers don't look now, but they have won three straight games. Their most recent win coming against Vegas last night, Tuesday night, uh, in a shootout. This is now a tough game. Like we we said a few weeks ago that the Oilers, you know, they got to turn it around at some point. And it seems that though they they have Connor McDavid has like 12 points in his last three games or something stupid. Yeah. Um, so he looks to be just fine. They're starting to get a few saves. Stuart Skinner is turning the corner a little bit. Uh, and that's all they really needed. Um, and then Saturday, you get Connor Bedard. Uh, should be very fun to watch. He's I, every Blackhawks game I've watched, he's been so much fun to watch. So that'll be a fun day inside Canada Life Center. Both these games, by the way, on Ticketmaster looking pretty good for ticket sales. Um, so we'll see if the building ends up sold out. McDavid and Bedard, if they don't drive ticket sales, I don't know what will. Um, but Monday Prime night, Sydney Crosby, <laughs> yes, yes, good call. Um, <clears throat> and then Monday night. Carolina Hurricanes, the Jets are wearing their fly the 48 jerseys for the first time this year, um, which I will say, I said it. I was on Winnipeg Sports Talk on Monday. I'll say it again. Everyone hated those jerseys when they came out, and I, I did not forget that, and I did not. I, I enjoyed I like, like those jerseys. Yeah. I, I still I don't think... like them, and I still don't understand that when they played on Remembrance Day, they didn't wear them. Yeah, and they didn't have camo jerseys. And whole and whole other and... set of issues there. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That we just talked about those issues for 15 minutes. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, I I think your opinion is gonna change, Elliot. Uh, after they after you see him on the ice, come back next week and you'll hear Elliot change his mind on those jerseys. We'll have a segment. I I guarantee it. Guarantee it. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, I mean, I, I think that's the, it. the biggest thing for me is that Nick David's back. Yeah, he's yeah. he's all the way back. Yeah. Just like Nikolai Ehlers. And Connor Hellbuck. <laughs> Good to go. Yeah. We back. All right, well, come back next week after we recap a huge week of games. Oilers, Blackhawks, Hurricanes. Wrap up the homestand. Some big playoff teams. Edmonton, I'm calling them a playoff team. I don't care what their record says. They're a playoff team. They've won three straight. They look fine. They're going to make the playoffs. Carolina, been a playoff team in the East. Um, they struggled a little bit recently. They lost to the Lightning like eight. They don't have goaltending. The they don't have goaltending. So that'll be. Well, uh, uh, yeah, Auntie Ranta let in uh, eight goals on 14 shots in that game. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Um, there might be some high scoring games here. Uh, Oilers. Yeah. You know, they can't get a save, but their offense is electric. Chicago's a bad team uh, just in general outside of Bedard. So if Bedard goes for like two goals or something, could be cool. Um, and then Monday, Carolina can't get goaltending, but their offense, we know how much, how many shots they put on net. Um, unless you guys have anything else, let's get out of here. Episode 56 was a fun one. Maybe we ranted a little too long about how much the NHL sucks, but we had yeah, to we, do we it. We spent more uh, time ranting. We were going to talk about our top songs on Spotify, but we, I, I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> Every, everyone give their top artists quickly. Brian, go first. Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Elliot. Uh, Luke Combs. Luke Combs. Respect. He's like number five on my list. My number one artist is Travis Scott. Um, yeah. Yeah. By I've never been I know. anything in my life. <laughs> yeah. If you know yeah. Connor, you know Travis Scott. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. Anyways, okay, let's, how about, let's how about get out of here. What was your number one song? Yeah. It was a Travis Scott song. Um, 100%. Let me, let me find it real quick. You go through your number one song while I find it. 
Uh, my number one song was Misery Business by Paramore because I'm I I honestly don't remember listening to it that much, but uh, great song. Uh, and uh, I guess I was just living vicariously through, uh, you know, that era of music. Yep, Elliot, what was your number one song? Uh, when it rains, pours. Luke Combs. Great song. Shock. Great song. My number one song was I Know by Travis Scott. Again, like you guys are relating way more to our target audience here. I don't think anyone's going to understand. But my number one album was Travis Scott. Uh, my number one you wouldn't understand. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. I mean, like if my little brother is listening to this podcast, you'd be like, oh, yeah, sick. But like, I don't know if if my dad's listening, he's not going to be like, oh, yeah, Travis Scott. Like, you know, um, it's all about target audience. Don't know. Yep. Don't know if I'm relating right now, but I, I highly doubt it. Um, I highly doubt it. Let's get out of here. Um, super fun week of games coming up. I'm so excited to watch both Connors and then the Carolina Hurricanes and the Jets when they're in their New Jerseys. So come back next week for episode 57, the Elias Salamonson episode. Thank you everyone for listening and follow us on not all the Tyler Myers at- episode. Oh no, <laughs> not Tyler Myers. Please no. Anyways, pretty good. Follow us on all socials at Level Flight WPG. Tell a friend about the Level Flight podcast, and we will see you next week on episode 57. See you. You're listening to the Level Flight podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network.